Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That is our presenting sponsor. That's the easiest way to shop for the best tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system. I just did this. I bought Red Sox Angels tickets. Uh, I did not get the little deal they have. $10 off baseball tickets the first time you use SeatGeek if you use promo code BSMLB. It was not my first time. I didn't get to use it. But download the SeatGeek app today. Go right to SeatGeek.com. They make it super easy. Check it out. We love SeatGeek. Thank you, SeatGeek. We're also brought to you by our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They give you the confidence you need when it comes to getting the right mortgage when you're buying a home or financing your existing home loan. Get a real mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution. That's Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. We should mention two Ringer podcasts that I appeared on this week. One was House of Carbs. We did um, part two of the interview that uh, House did with David Chang, and I just kind of happened to sit in. But if you like the movie Burnt, I would encourage you to listen to this because David Chang rips it apart, and we talked about... uh, the food media and last meal on earth and a whole bunch of fun stuff. Remember Brown, old Grantland teammate was also on that episode to talk about Atlanta's famous wings. And then the other podcast I did that's coming out this week, we did a special episode of against all odds with cousin Sal, our friend, Brad, who uh, has been on my podcast a couple of times and has done some Grantland video stuff. We decided because it's such a dead time for gambling right now to do the autobiography autobiography of Brad because uh, gambling has intersected in his life multiple times and sometimes in in not great ways. But uh, to say this is a podcast that can't be missed is an understatement. Tate, where did it rank? Best ones you've ever produced? It's the top 10 for sure. Top 10 for, he he turned on Tate at one point. He started yelling at Tate. Uh, It's phenomenal. So anyway, check that out against the odds with Cousin Sal. Don't forget about uh, Talk to Thrones, our new Twitter show. Hashtag Talk to Thrones, but it comes on right after Game of Thrones on HBO. It has been awesome watching the audience build. We had some uh, some great numbers, not just 500,000 for the After the Fact on Demand show, but the audience during the show was unbelievable, too. And it's been really cool to see this idea kind of kind of blossom. Jason Concepcion, who's coming up later to talk about Kyrie Irving, Chris Ryan, Mally Rubin, Andy Greenwald, doing a great job. All the behind-the-scenes crew doing a great job, too. Check that out right after Game of Thrones. The show is confusing. You need people who are experts to explain what the heck just happened. Check it out. Twitter.com, at Ringer, or hashtag Talk to Thrones. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Mayor Eric Garcetti and Casey Wasserman, the chair of the LA 2028 committee, because LA got the Summer Olympics, and we're going to talk about it, what it means, what happens to uh, LA over these next 12 years, um, fears, things we're excited about, all that stuff. We're going to talk to those guys about all that. And then after that, we're going to talk to Jason Concepcion about Kyrie Irving and where he might go and whether he's making the right idea or not. But first, our friends from Pearl Jam. We're taping this on uh, <laughs> noon Tuesday afternoon. Casey Wasserman is here. Mary Eric Garcetti is here. 
I was just asking him how Italian he was. He said one eighth. At least an eighth. They all went to Mexico, so it's my dad's dad's dad. Though we found out where we're from in Italy just uh, a few months ago from like uh, Piemont, that area, like Torino. Yeah. So some, so a bunch of Italians came to work in the mines in Mexico, in Chihuahua. And that's where my great-grandfather, we think, came to, or great-great-grandfather. So I'm either an 8th or a 16th. He's hitting a lot of bases. But so let probably. me tell you, when there's the three Italian IOC members asked him, at least 50% Italian. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm 100% puro oh. Italian. Puro so, Italiano, as they say in Spanish. We're catching you one day after uh, the dramatic announcement. After how many years did you spend trying to get LA 2024? You have all the hashtags, the websites. <laughs> now something that's 2028, but it's happening. This is done. It is. Well, the, the, is the, coming the, to LA. the mayor actually uh, declared it on his first day in office. Uh, he wrote me in in the summer of 2014. Uh, and here we are in the summer of uh, 2017. And uh, it's good to say the Olympics are coming back to Los Angeles. Was this a deal? How much backroom dealing was involved in this? Because you had Paris versus L.A. basically well, for 24. It's really 44 years in the making, right? We've yeah. bid almost every time since. Uh, it's funny when you think about right after 84, like people were saying, we'll do it like the next one um, in the 80s and the 90s. But um, we had to negotiate a lot. I mean, we've been so well represented by this guy. I mean, you want somebody to be there to close your deal. It's Casey Wasserman. And we're both... 84 boys who grew up with right. the Olympics. You were here when he was here. He yeah. was 13, I was 10, and it shaped our Which lives. Which he tells me yeah. a lot. So he's younger than me is what he's saying. He was 10, I was 13, but I'm wiser than yeah. yeah, by three I, years. It shaped a little bit of my life, too, because I remember that summer which was a great summer for cable. It was mm-hmm. like the first summer where I think I had more than 20 cable channels. But remember, the Olympics was on all the time. Did you go to the, the West? No, because I was in Boston. Yeah, yeah, right. But the... Uh, the it was on like 11.30 at night, yep. 1.30 at night, volleyball, all these different sports. It was great. And I, I think a lot of Americans remember that Olympics favorably because we won so much because the Russians didn't come. Which we we like winning, and that was yeah. a good way to do that it. That was a good way. We had a lot of good things. Yeah, we, but we, this time, everybody's probably going to come, right? 2028, we hope. Let's hope who so. Knows? Who knows what the state the world's of the world will crazy. be. But yeah. you, I guarantee you we'll hold the Olympics, but who knows what the state of the world will be in 28. All right, so let's go. Let's start here. Um why concede 24 and do 28 instead? What, was the, what were the reasons? Uh, I, I don't think either of us look at it as a concession. Um, we started this race uh, to compete to host the games, but the mayor has been clear that this was never just about 24. This was our, about our ability to really invest of ourselves and help the movement for years to come. Right. And as the race continued, the opportunity to create certainty, to create an economic benefit from that certainty that will benefit the people of L.A. immediately, and to do something that, frankly, only one other American city has done for a summer games the last 100 years, which is win a competition for an Olympic Games, is a big deal. And to be able to do that and declare victory is a big win for us. I mean, look, look, a vote would have been tough and contentious. We were always underdogs, but we still might have won for 24. But we might have lost as well. But if I had been given yesterday the deal that exists right now for 24 for Paris and us for 28, I'd probably be derelict of duty not to take the 28 one. And I'll tell you why. If I took 24, we'd have to wait till the year after to have a legacy. The profits of the games to invest in youth sports like we did after 84. Uh, We'd have to wait eight years from now. But with this deal, they're giving us enough resources up front to start that probably next year. So what's better for a city to say, hey, we're going to create a generation of athletes now or wait eight years because I want to have the Olympics four years earlier. Pretty much a no brainer. So it's basically you have 12 years to prepare instead of eight with more resources or the same resources? Now, hundreds of millions more. So literally, we will have money to be able to make sports universally accessible in all of our rec and park system in L.A. 
for every kid. You know, think about in '84, um, we took those profits, 230 million bucks to date that we've spent. We built things like tennis centers in Compton, and the Williams sisters were discovered. Um, I think about people who didn't become Olympic athletes, but whose lives were changed because they stayed in school or they became, you know, athletes, and they're fit today because of that. Unfortunately, we couldn't make that universal. We think with the money that they've given us up front, we'll be able to start as soon as next year making that universal for every kid in every zip code. So one of the reasons I thought this would work and why I didn't think it would work in Boston was because we have all the stuff here already. I yep. went to the 2012 thing in London. Remember they built up yeah. that whole that whole village, basically. They built that makeshift yep. stadium and all these things that they kind of had to have to make yep. it work. But the best case for LA having the Olympics would be, I, you could argue we have too many arenas. We, we actually- There's too many stadiums, right? <laughs> I mean, there are venues we won't use. Um, that are Olympic quality. That yeah. are Olympic quality. I mean, we'll play f- soccer matches in the Rose Bowl, but we don't have to play soccer matches in the Rose Bowl. We'll use the pond or the Honda Center in Anaheim. We don't have to use the Honda Center in Anaheim. And we have these venues that are extraordinary. And, uh, and if you think about it, you know, most people build an Olympic village and then try and figure out what to do with it after games. One month after the games are over, 25,000 students from UCLA will move in and start their, you know, fall quarter at UCLA. So you don't have to build an Olympic village. The day the Olympic basketball ends at Staples Center, a month later, the Kings, Lakers, and Clippers will move back into Staples Center and play basketball. So our venues don't, we, we are interrupting their normal use to host the Olympic Games, not not building them and trying to hope that there's something to use them after the fact. And it's really unique. You're, inter- you're interrupting soccer camps and basketball camps at UCLA. And more importantly, <coughs> Kanye goes there to shoot, apparently. And, and summer school. They get summer a summer school. off, so that's a good but, thing. They're all happy. But think about UCLA. Usually building a village is $2 billion. Yeah. You, if you're lucky, the plumbing works in time. They're trying to figure out the food, and they're putting everybody in a huge tent. The trees have, haven't grown. I mean, and sometimes it's empty afterwards. UCLA, the trees are all mature. It's a beautiful campus. You have not only amazing dorms that are like a luxury hotel. Uh, I should have gone to college there now because it's amazing. But they have the best food in America for any college campus. That's what they're ranked. And then what most villages never have is Olympic-sized pools, tennis courts, tracks where Olympic champions like Allison Felix train today. And not to have to travel to warm up is going to be a huge advantage. When they came and saw it, the evaluation commission said, this is the nicest Olympic village. So yeah, it saves money, but it also is the best village, which it was like a double strength. Why spend money on a village that will be worse when you can have the best for free? Right. So how does the Inglewood thing with Crocky's NFL stadium, and then it really looks like Bomber's going to build a basketball arena there too. That's two more... <laughs> Stadiums that so when the, you were playing this in 2014, you didn't know either of those things were coming. Although first, I always felt like you knew a little bit about the Crocky <laughs> thing, you just didn't tell me. When we first started, we didn't have the Rams building, um, but uh, as we got into the IOC process, the, the international process, it, it came around, and so that's going to be sort of we're going to have a unique opening ceremonies where we'll have a sort of citywide celebration in the Coliseum to embrace the history of the Coliseum, but that'll be used for athletics. Uh, and the torch will come through there, but that's a way to get more people exposed to opening ceremonies. And then the formal athlete procession will happen in the Rams Stadium. Uh, That's where the Olympic Cauldron will be. But that stadium will be used for ceremonies, but track and field will still be at the Coliseum. I mean, the only only stadium ever to have three Olympic track and field competitions in the same stadium. How cool is that? So is that the history is the reason? Because would it make more sense to do the football stadium? There's a technical reason, which is the size of the track setup is so big that we will actually t- build a track in the Coliseum and lose 14 rows of seats. And the size of that track, you actually couldn't even fit in the Ram Stadium. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You so can't build it, those stadiums anymore because you want to bring the fans closer for football <laughs> and soccer. 
So to build track and field stadiums is really tough in America now, but we've got the Coliseum. Because, so. you know, the, tier, you know, the, the Coliseum is not tiered. So when you lose seats, you don't affect the rake of the stadium. With a tiered stadium, you know, you might be into the concourse by the time you got the I track all I was hoping you were going to talk about the rake of the stadium yeah, in this podcast. It's it's awesome. really excited when we talk technical. <laughs> how, much do you, how much money do you have to put into the Coliseum to modernize it? $100 million? Yeah, that temporary yeah, track's about, well, no, the USC is going to modernize the building, yeah. but that temporary track's over $100 million. And that track goes away. That is actually the most expensive thing we will build for the Olympic Games. Is though, that temporary though, track? We'll potentially, we can reuse it. We can use the in. track for the community in the community, uh, not the platform it's on, though. Gotcha. What are what are the other expenses? Got a temporary swim stadium at USC, uh, which will be awesome and open air. So many of the stadiums are closed usually, but we have such great weather. You can see the city around you. Um, we've got to do whitewater. So um, for the canoeing, that'll be in the San Fernando Valley in what's called the Sepulveda Basin area. Um, we got to put the um, beach volleyball in the home of where it started in Santa Monica, right nice. by the pier, which will be sweet. And, uh, you know, for I think some of the boating and rowing stuff, we'll put up some temporary seating for wherever that lands. And the nice thing is w- w- now that we've won, we can negotiate these things in the best possible places. And I think our costs will come down because the, uh, even the, a lot of the federations, the people who control these sports are saying, well, maybe we don't need to spend that much because they realize long term they're not going to have cities bid around the world if it costs so much for them. Say team handball demands 15,000 spectators and you build a new stadium and then it's just stuck there afterwards. Maybe we can make do with smaller spaces in other cities than here in LA we've got all of the, the stuff built but if they want to see other cities line up in an affordable way they should focus on the TV enough people in there but not these mega arenas just for those 17 days of the Olympics the Staples Center the, the convention center next to it where they're building the LFC, LAFC stadium does that get used too? so LAFC will be uh, um, soccer yeah uh, and the convention center is are really important facilities for Olympic Games because you use them for a lot of sports that can sort of be in the hall setting. So whether it's boxing uh, or, or table tennis or things like uh, taekwondo, Fence, you know, yeah, th- those kind of things are great in those kind of setups. And it's a way, but having that next to Staples Center in the downtown core means that those sports are going to get people who otherwise never would have gone yeah. because they're part of an area that's drawing a lot of traffic. And that's one of the things that we have in L.A. is we have these aggregations of sports venues that means we'll get to expose lots of Olympic sports to people that otherwise would not go see them. You know, a lot of places, sometimes it's more compact, the Olympics, but yeah. each sport is a secure zone. So you got to leave basketball, go through security, wait in line just to get over to Taekwondo, that we have these four areas that people can see multiple things. You can go from canoeing to equestrian to shooting out in the valley. You can go downtown from basketball to Taekwondo at the convention center. You can go from archery to uh, some of the stuff that we'll have at the Ram Stadium. That's really cool because it... Part of the fun of the Olympics, you're talking about watching it on cable, uh, you know, in 84, is like discovering a sport you never thought you'd be interested in. And you're like, wow, this archery is fascinating right. to watch. Handball is like, like that for me every four years. Handball, yeah. Every four years, I get mad we're not better at handball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really, by the way, the Team Handball Federation talked to us, like, what can we do to break into this market? And I said, well, you know, a lot of firefighters play handball and they're like no that's the wrong sport mayor it's like team handball it's the the other one so uh, what's cool is i think we can expose if we have a decade in our high school we can in high schools we can expose kids to a lot of these other sports think about badminton for instance yeah here in la it's a huge asian sport and you have asian american kids who oh i see people who look like me who play this girls and boys can start at the same level there's not kind of a gender divide and we found what like forty thousand people that's that play badminton in southern california because we have such a huge asian 
you know, community that's here. So I think that this is going to be good for these sports to find the American market, as well as the new sports that they're going to bring in and that we probably will continue. Tokyo is going to have skateboarding, surfing, uh, rock climbing, baseball's coming back, and we can continue that here in L.A. So downtown L.A. is going to basically be what London was like in 2012, where it's this big area you have to go into. And then there's going to be a bunch of different things going on. Not all of downtown L.A., but around the Staples around Center. Staples, Convention, Convention Center. Center. Yeah, so you, once you get through security once, you can walk to all the sports yeah. without having to do it again. Because London basically had everything in one spot. And I walked yeah. so much that I had started eating candy to put weight back on. <laughs> I was down to like 164 miles. <laughs> I was like, like skinny, 12 right? miles a day. It was insane. <laughs> this seems like it's more spread out. So yeah. as a person who lives in L.A., my biggest concern slash fear would be the transportation. Mm-hmm. How are people getting from one place to the other because one of the reasons London was so great was you hop on the train you could basically go right. anywhere is well, LA going to be ready in 2028 to be able yeah. to do that in 1984 we didn't even have a subway yet and people come up to me all the time saying please throw the Olympics so we can have 17 days with no traffic because they remember 84 people get the hell out people leave um, <laughs> yeah. and also we dedicate lanes so for not just the athletes and the Olympic folks but any of the fans who are going on the shuttles we will guarantee you like the quickest rides you've ever seen in LA on top of that, public transportation will be built out by then. We'll have LAX connected to public transportation, the subway, the Olympic Village. LAX is going to be connected to public transportation. Can you believe it? That's like... That's actually ha- happening? It's actually <laughs> happening. It's That was my first dream. Olympics was <laughs> second. 2000, 2098? Yeah. No, no, no. We're going to be years? done probably 2022. What? Yep. And we have, we have a subway that's 70% of the way, light rail, it's 70% of the way done already that comes to just outside the airport. That'll be done uh, probably in a year and a half. And then by 2022, we'll have a people mover, a train that connects you from that stop into every terminal at LAX. So is it conceivable you could go from like San, Santa Monica all the way to Inglewood? Can yes. we do that now? You can go from Santa Monica all the way downtown now, from the beach. Right, um, so then Inglewood would be the next Exactly, step. then you just take the Crenshaw LAX line, you go straight to Inglewood, and we're working on a spur outside of the Olympics that will go into the Forum and the new Ram Stadium so that people can go there on the train. What's the biggest thing you guys are worried about these next seven years to get done? Like, what's the one where you look at and you go, ugh, that's, we gotta figure that one out. What is it? I don't think it's a figure out, and we, we just have to go execute now. I mean, we have to go generate... You know, three and a half, four billion dollars of revenue. Uh, now that's less revenue than uh, London did in sponsorships and Rio did in ticketing. So I think we're pretty conservative. But you know, we're stewards of these games, and we're ultimately responsible to the people of LA to do this responsibly and and well. And uh, we just have to go execute. The, the 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 plan is in place. The opportunity is there, and now we just have to go make it happen. I've known you for a long time. That was the most political answer I've ever heard from you. <laughs> you, you totally didn't answer my question at all. No, There's not I'll, one I'll thing you, you guys answer. are worried about? I'm not really stressed about anything except momentum. I mean, I want people to feel excitement. Yeah. But when I look at it, what can go wrong? I mean, Staples Center isn't going to disappear. UCLA isn't going to pack up and not be a place. Like, this is as airtight. Literally, I'll quote one of the IOC members who came out here for the Evaluation Commission. He said, I keep looking to find a hole in this bid. Right. I can't find one. So t- more it's a human thing. Thing, making sure that we all feel enthused about this and that we realize, look, the Olympics is coming and that's great, but we still need to address the rest of the problems the city faces, homelessness, traffic. I mean, for me, it, don't get distracted and don't think this is the only thing that we're thinking about 11 years from now. We're actually improving the city at the same time we're preparing for the Olympics. So that's so there. I'm sure there's going to be. Has there been backlash yet to this? I'm sure there'll be backlash. There's been a little. But, you know, I think when people understand the reality of the bid and the details of the bid, it's, this is not on the city budget. This is privately financed, privately operated. 
Um, it's as conservative a budget as ever been presented for Olympic bid. It's as third-party validated. Uh, I think people understand that, as the mayor says, you know, we can walk and chew gum here. Like, you have to do big things to achieve big results. That doesn't mean you're ignoring the problems or the challenges that every big city in the world has. And we can do both, and we should do both, because I think it makes us better. And uh, so while there is backlash, and you would expect that, I think a lot of it's based not on the facts, but on what people perceive to be the situation or using it for other reasons. Right. I mean, you, you look at most <clears throat> cities, there's a big backlash because you're going to go into debt. We're not, and we're not using public funds for this. So we, the poll that came out today said that for 2028, this wasn't our poll, it was Loyola Marymount University, uh, 83% of people support it. So look, 17% times 4 million people, there's still a lot of people. Yeah. But there's even more people, especially everybody who was here in 84, who realizes this is good. We're not displacing residents like you read in other cities. We're not taking city budgets and shifting around. This is win-win. $11 billion to our economy, thousands of jobs, uh, the world's attention, and a legacy of fitness. And to me, that's the big thing is somehow Olympics got into being an urban planning exercise. Like the legacy is supposed to be buildings. Yeah. This has always been a sports thing. Why not make the legacy about sports and people and fitness and competition? I want to return the Olympics back to that. It's what we did in 84 and it's what we'll do in 28. So I, I would guess some of the backlash, people have just a fear of when your city does a big project, whether it's, I mean, the Olympics is the ultimate of yeah. it, but a lot of times with stadiums, there'll be like this little hidden wrinkle, like, oh no, the public's not gonna pay anything. And then like buried in the back is right. gonna be, hey, if we go over, this goes into your taxes. Right. Is that the case here? LA is smart, like look what we did with the NFL. Like it took us 20 years, but we always said, you need us more than we need you. And we are not going to subsidize your stadium. So we got in LA and Inglewood, free stadium. I mean, on their dime, not the taxpayer's dime. And somehow it was a good deal for Stan Kroenke. Because <laughs> yeah. that's going to be like the epicenter of the NFL and right. he's going to have Super Bowls and Because LA can thing. do that. Like New York, yeah. too. I mean, that's the only other non-subsidized one where it was privately funded. The big markets can do that. So I think, you know, most of the things that people rightfully so get upset with rich owners taking their taxpayer money or these vanity games, you know, you look at something like Sochi, people always mistake the Olympics themselves don't go over budget, the operating side. It's always the capital side, the things that you build on top of it and you say, we're doing this for the Olympics. Well, LA, we're fixing our traffic, not for the Olympics. The Olympics can benefit from it, but we're doing it for ourselves. We're not building a line that connects the village and the sports arena. We're connecting, you know, main uh, um, residential neighborhoods with where our jobs are downtown. So I think the Olympics, to be successful in the future, have to fit the games to the city, not the city to the games. And that's been the mistake for a few decades. So is there a 0% chance this trickles into taxes or a 3% chance? What is it? Uh, I think like a 1% chance. The world would have to melt down. It's, it's not a 0%, and we've guaranteed it, to be clear, the city of L.A. for anything right. goes over and the state of California. But, um, you know, if I had to bet today... We are going to make hundreds of millions, and it could be high hundreds of millions off of these games. So what about you're creating all these jobs, right? How yeah. many jobs is this going to create? It's 11 billion of, of activity. I forget how many, how many jobs it was. We'll find out. We got, you know, Manav, who's one of your biggest fans right here, <laughs> who's like a groupie in the back here. His he, credibility just went up so high, you yeah. have no idea. He's also, a, he's also, I knew a, I liked him. You know, want to know something else about Manav that you didn't know? Kumar. He, he is a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is what, <laughs> but he's going to look at he's going to look it up. Uh, but it's thousands of jobs. There's a lot is in the, you know the temporary construction stuff, but most of it is in the hospitality industry. We'll build extra hotels because this is happening. Ooh, more hotels. We'll you know have um, obviously through the folks that come through LAX, they'll stay here. When people come for the Olympics, they usually come 
And especially with a city like LA, they're going to want to go to Disneyland and Universal. Yeah. And so you wind up getting billions of dollars um, and thousands of jobs. But the legacy is less about, I think, those jobs than about the sports that we'll be able to fund. And look, this is a town where 26% of people are obese, where we have like diabetes rates, especially in communities of color that are off the charts and increasing, doubling in the last decade. So to me, you know, that's what we'll leave behind even more than the economic impact is making LA the healthiest city in America. That's kind of my goal over this next decade. It's about 74,000 jobs. Wow. Now, one of, one of the criticisms of the Olympics is always that they create these jobs, but then the Olympics ends and the jobs are done. So how do you account for that? Well, the, the construction ones, the nice thing is the people that we train, for instance, the folks that will help build the stadiums or do any of this stuff, will be able to go into what we're doing for the next 40 years of constructing yeah. stuff for our public transportation. So a kid growing up in we South definitely LA. definitely need that. I can tell you that much. No question. Where, where do you live? <laughs> uh, so, relatively close to here. Okay, good, okay. <laughs> What's that address again? That's yeah. good. Well, we, we will have, you know, construction jobs for folks, but so often we've given them to people who don't grow up in LA. Yeah. They'll be able to go as soon as the Olympics are done into a program at the airport, the port of LA, or for our public transportation that's the next 40 years. It's already paid for, taxpayers passed it. So it's a nice way to say, look, these jobs aren't disappearing. Same thing with the tourism jobs. Our tourism goes up every single year. We just broke records at LAX. Um, we have a goal of 50 million visitors by 2020. So these folks are going to be in place, I think, in good jobs after the Olympics come to. I'm not letting him answer this because he's biased. Um, <laughs> since I've been here, it's been incredible to watch LA take off as a city. I mean, I even remember when we launched Grantland in 2011, it was really hard to get young people to move here. And I think part of that was because it had this reputation, the city's so gigantic and sprawling. Um, if you're on the East Coast, you're used to taking cabs and stuff like that. And over the last six years, I think Uber had a big big a big uh role in this is the fact that you can now just hop in a car and go wherever you want and i feel like the city is taking off you can see it and now it's much easier to get people to move here and you have los Feliz and um silver lake and echo park and now maybe inglewood and eagle rock and all these little places on the outskirts are filling up with young people and it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down like, can you feel that? How You've been here your whole life. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, you go, you know, some of the best restaurants in America are in the arts district in downtown. And that's a part of the city that no one's ever been to until five years ago. Now it might be the hottest real estate area in the country. This and sounds so, like an L.A. infomercial now. You, <laughs> but it is true. Like it's David, true. David Chang was on our House of Carbs yeah. food podcast, and he said Koreatown yeah. is the single best place for food in the world right now. Yeah. He didn't I, even say America. He was like, the world. No, and he's like, all the chefs are coming to L.A. It's true. And shit's well, happening. But think, but thing is hap- I mean, think about it. When I was a kid in, in the mayor where we had P.E., we had smog days where you couldn't go outside, and now we have really clean air, and our kids play outside. The air is noticeable. I moved here in 2002. It's yeah. uh, like, my lungs were killing me the first couple <laughs> seriously I couldn't because no, I have bad lungs yep. and now it's a lot better I it's, mean it's not it's, ideal but it's it's, it's way better so LA I think is really in its moment and I think uh, by 2028 I think it's going to be a pretty incredible city to show off to the world what is this like for you personally because I, I was with you just randomly <laughs> the time that you found out Boston was getting the bid I held you accountable for that but then you fixed it. Well, you so. were like, you're happy. <laughs> you're happy. I'm like, I'm not happy. This is a disaster. Boston people are going to hate this. But it, it really did seem like this wasn't going to happen. It did. Um, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a roller coaster, to say the least, you know, to, to have for six months fought really hard and then 
go to Boston, which from the beginning we felt like was the wrong choice, to have them come back to us to then enter a race sort of, you know, behind the other cities. And then we were competing with, you know, the big boys of Europe. I mean, it was yeah. Rome and Paris. And then you had Budapest and you had Hamburg. So you had these con- these countries and these cities that were European and entrenched in the Olympic movement. And then you had L.A. who shows up late and was perceived as a second choice. And here we are to be to be celebrating that the games are coming back. It's it's everybody's pretty... like, did, did we even invite you to the party? Like, what are you doing here? Did, did somebody invite LA to this party? Because you just hey, could you get LA out of here. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I think Casey said that he called the three American um, chairs of the last three Olympics: Billy Payne, Mitt Romney, and of course Peter Ubaroth. And something he told me really resonated since yesterday that Mitt Romney told him it was the best experience of his professional life. Yeah. Because everybody knows they're getting fired the next day. So you're not competing with each other. You're all doing this because you love sports and you love your city and you love this place. And and when we had it here in 84, it was like, who could ever be, if anybody lived here in 84, I challenge them to be opposed to the 2028 Olympics. It was transformative. It was a moment which we kind of used not just for the sports, but think about the world today when people are questioning what America is about and Americans are all at each other's throats. Like this is the one time everybody puts down their arms and says like, this is, we, we cheer on the African underdog who wins the sprint. We, you know, cheer on our team that shouldn't win that sport, but does in the United States. It's, it's like the greatest moment in our lives and that we can pass this on to our kids the way it was passed on to us makes this really an emotional moment. How long have you guys known each other? Well, I waved to him when he was 10 across the stadium. He didn't even pay attention, but... He was too know, cool for me. Like six, uh, probably about 16, maybe 20 years, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And when did this become an idea? Well, his idea before it was mine. Um, and then he called me and kind of said... So what year are we talking? Well, so 20, 2013, <laughs> I took over as mayor. My first thing that I did was sign a letter to the United States Olympic Committee saying, yes, we were in. But, but Casey's being modest. Before I... I selected him to be chair a year later, we sat down probably two months into my mayoralty and just started talking about sports. We're like, it'd be great to get a football team here or two. It would be awesome if the, you know, new uh, soccer stadium could get built. It would be so cool to bring the Olympics. And all of a sudden, all those are coming. An all-star game in hockey and one in in, uh, uh, basketball and probably in baseball soon in the Super Bowl. Like, if we had just done one of those things in a five or six year period, it would be awesome. They've all come in and... Leadership matters. I mean, having a peer who I really like and who we get along well, but also who understands this business, I I tell you, I bet there's never been anybody who's negotiated an IOC contract to host an Olympics with somebody who knows as much about the business as Casey. So he was, I've learned things like the back end on the top level sponsorships for mobility, which means who's paying for the car sponsorship, like, you know, sharing that profit. This is the first time the Olympics is giving us the profit after the games back. Now, most Olympics don't make a profit, but they've never offered that because they believe in our vision so much and what Casey negotiated. So we were off to the races in 2014, but I think when we first met in fall of 2013, that's when I realized this is the guy, this is a shared vision, and we're totally, the odds are we're going to lose this, but let's go for it. It's worth fighting for. So any profit goes back to the city. Correct. Any any IOC profit comes back to the city. So originally Can we they built some more soccer fields? Yeah. No, we want to put it not just into... Free access, that's the first piece. Maybe not free because people show if it's totally free, some kids don't show up. But like 10 bucks, right? Nobody can be kept away from sports because they can't afford the uniforms or their parents have to choose one of their kids because they can't afford both of them. But then let's talk at coaches. Let's look at the facilities. 1984, 
dollars still are paying back, 230 million and counting. So there's stadiums that have the Olympic rings on them. There's, uh, you know, swimming pools that are in South LA that have the Olympic rings on them. I mentioned the Williams sisters in the tennis center. Like that stuff, it's not just about the physical landscape. It's not just about the access. It's also about the coaching and trying to get our high schools and everybody else to get involved too. So when we have a decade now, it's not just going to be about what we put in from the Olympic money. I think we can get the entire city to say, sports matter. It's why kids don't drop out from school. Not everybody's going to be a champion. Not everybody's going to be professional. But we should all have that opportunity. And it slowly has been taken away from a lot of American public schools that sports don't matter. I think that's that's BS. And we, we can help bring it back. And look, we're going to have two things that no... Uh, organizing committee have, has ever had in the history of the Olympic movement, which is time and money. Yeah. We will both have the time to plan and the money to execute all of those things. Is this the most time somebody's had to plan an Olympics? It's the most time uh, by a lot, by four yeah. years, and we will have had the most resources because we have no pressures to build things. So most people think about doing really interesting things for their city, and then they wake up the day after they win an Olympics, and they're like, oh, oh wow, we have to go build an Olympic village for 17,500 people. Oh, we have to go build a $2 billion Olympic stadium. Oh, we have to go build a million square foot broadcast center. And they're like, yeah. okay, those good ideas are nice, but I, I, we're gonna be lucky if we get this thing done in seven years. We don't have those issues. Yeah. So think about the resources, the creativity, the innovation we can bring to bear based on knowing you have that and you have the money to actually make it happen. It's really unique. And, and, and all the lead up events, a lot of people don't realize once you win the Olympics, <laughs> A lot of these sports want to do the lead-up events in the years to come. Now that we have 11 years, that we can have you know the weightlifting championships here and the beach volleyball championships here. That is a really cool thing for a city to get engaged and involved. So you build your base. That's a lot of the money that comes in. It's not just during the 17 days of the Olympics, but uh, other... Uh, sporting events that you're able to attract and then we can also invest in the permanent infrastructure for these things so that you know kids 20 years from now will be playing badminton and beach volleyball and baseball and all of those things that we wish we can have so legacy comes first in this bid instead of being thought of as last in most bids this isn't the number one problem living in la right now but it's in like the top 20 is the (laughs) lack of facilities yeah like there's one of the hockey rinks went down i think there's one hockey rink within a 30 minute drive of LA at this point. And there's no place, there's yeah. no little basketball places. You yep. look at like the club basketball scene and Go to a soccer, soccer is the one soccer has the most, but even but those are still way total, out. And they're still yeah. so crowded on the weekends. I mean, yeah. everybody, you know, there's the two teams lined up waiting for the team to finish. It's know, crazy. Teams, Anytime yeah. there's a big club tournament, it's always an hour, yeah. an hour, 15 yeah. from here. And it's in these places that, you know, aren't anywhere close to L.A. No, it's huge. I don't know how you fix that. Well, you can build some of these things up. And we st- L.A. Is, is still a horizontal city. Land is more expensive here, but it's not as difficult to find those spaces in old commercial areas and to, to build those sorts of facilities out. And that's definitely a part of, I think, what we want to leave behind. Because we have some of the best people in the world who come here from around the world. One of our pitches in, in Switzerland was the United States Olympic Committee actually trains people from, I think, a quarter of the nations of the world to compete and to beat us like that. If that isn't, that's not America first, that's putting the movement first. Yeah. And, and we want to have the same thing where the best, you know, ice skaters in the world come to LA to train. Like nobody would have thought of that, but they do because, you know, even though it's a hot city, we've had the facilities, we can't lose that. Same thing with basketball. I think people don't even realize some NBA stars live here because they think they're in other cities. I think all of them live here (laughs) this summer. Yeah. Right. So, so playing at like Calabasas high and all these weird games. If we can, if we can peel some of that off so that, um, and all those guys would love to see kids in a neighborhood where there's not a good basketball court, have that opportunity because they know that's what brought them up. But you guys seem like you have a pretty good team thing going on. But what happens if he goes to rain on you? What happens if there's a better 
Well, but, uh, I mean, uh, people always talk about him as this hot property that yeah, is going to have I, higher aspirations. After uh, after they voted, are you to Westbrook? Pro- after, yeah, I'm, uh, no, I'm not Westbrook. I'm wherever he goes, I go. So I mean, not physically, maybe for at least the next eleven years, but. I told him uh, I'd follow him anywhere he goes. Did you sign him to a five-year max deal to try to keep him? Until actually, an eleven-year max deal. He's got a couple. He's got a couple opt-outs. Um, he's maybe. got Westbrook skills for sure. So really, it's his <laughs> option. But uh, there's term limits in politics, so thankfully I've gone either way. At least how, long are, the ma- how long are you the mayor for? Till the end of 2022. So even if it was 24 or 28, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So I'm out of here. So it's really Casey's fault if anything goes wrong. <laughs> what What are your aspirations? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I don't live for the future too much. I live kind of in the moment. I think too many people in politics are like, I want to be X. Yeah. Um, I just love a job where I can do something in my hometown. People keep asking where I'm going to be in 2028. I have no idea, but I know I'll be in the stadium here with my daughter, uh, like my parents were with me. So the rest of it will take care. I think there's some crazy stuff going on nationally, so I'll keep an eye on that. I was going to say, you know what we found in 2017? Anyone can be president. It's amazing how that Literally works. Literally you know? anybody. <laughs> You know, I don't Any think we, we need our first podcaster to be president. Just saying. Like the, you think I have a chance? <laughs> sure. These Listen, days, I wouldn't have said that a year makes ago. anything possible. <laughs> um, is that a possible benefit of 2028? Is that there's some distance with maybe certain regimes in well, place? Look, or does I, that? I'll say this about the president and about both houses of Congress and both parties. It's the one thing that's united people is everybody was on board for this. You know, mm. people were nervous well, uh, because of the executive orders will foreign athletes be able to get in and we right. have a deputy secretary. That seems like a fair concern. It's a totally fair concern. But the number two person of Homeland Security was here for the committee that was evaluating LA saying everybody we guarantee will get in and a letter came like that moment from the president that said the same thing. So look, we have plenty of disagreements in this country and I certainly do with the administration, but I'm not worried that that will infect the Olympics. Um, I don't think that the 2028 deal is about who's in power right now. I think it's literally about the resources that were offered. And let's be honest, it's a very European movement still. A lot of votes are in Europe. I'm sympathetic, not as sympathetic as for L.A., but I'm sympathetic 100 years later, three losses after all the terrorism. Like Paris, this is going to be good for Paris. It's going to be good for France. They're a friend of ours. So um, instead of us being competitors, Mayor Hidalgo, who's my counterpart in Paris, and I are really good friends. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, I got to know during this as well. President, he texted me this weekend to say, like, congratulations. It's nice to be back in a world where we like each other rather than where we're making enemies. What's that world like? (laughs) Did you have to deal with uh, President Trump at all, Casey? Uh, Not directly. We dealt with the administration. Look, when we started this, uh, President Obama was the president. Yeah. uh, And and now it's President Trump. And obviously, it's politics, so people come and go. But at the working levels of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, where we really need the support, around the security operation for games. Those people have been pretty consistent, and they've been unbelievably supportive. And so I've actually never met President Trump, but his team has been supportive. Every guarantee we've been asked to deliver the IOC from the federal government, we have delivered. And we have done that for 24 and again for 28. And so from our perspective, that's all been good. They have been supportive in the way we'd like them to be supportive. This is such a politician now, Casey. I, know. I just never, Wasserman, never seen him like this. It's good. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'll, we'll you got to get ready for the handshake with him. He's, he's going to be the next mayor. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm ready. And I'll and I'll be uh, I'll take over his business. You know, representing <laughs> you the flip flop. And now that I understand how to do a Nike deal, I'm ready. Have you shook hands with uh, President Trump? I've never met him face to face. Though we talked three times on the phone after he was elected, before he was sworn in, and we talked about this. And he was like very 
supportive. It's great. It's great. It's tremendous. It's, it's tremendous. great. It's a great job. Great. Should be You're great. great mayor. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's great. great. It's great. So he look and he delivered on that. He invited the head of the Olympics for the first time in I don't know twenty years to come to the White House, which uh, he meets with every other head of state, but for whatever reasons, not in the U.S. So credit to him for doing that. Um, so we couldn't ask for more. You know, it doesn't mean I don't you know strenuously disagree, and we'll continue to speak out on other things where we disagree. But yes. You know, call a spade a spade. So when you meet him, the move, Trudeau has the move for the handshake. You pull him in. You, you the put your hug. hand on the shoulder uh-huh. and you hold on to his shoulder because he, he grabs a hand and he pulls you, yeah, yeah, you toward gotta, him. So you uh-huh. have to get leverage on his shoulder. So it's That's like it's a jiu-jitsu. So you're actually, it's like, it he is. pulls himself. It's like a self-defense almost. You're holding on to him. He's pulling you back, but you already have leverage well, you remember with the Macron shoulder. too. So when I met Macron, we had like a really nice handshake and we held the hands for a little while. Not as long as, you know, he and Trump did later. But uh, I was thinking about that. It, it sets the politics of a handshake. Yeah. Um, it's a know, real thing. Maybe just a fist bump is safest, safest with <laughs> can it. We just, can we practice, Bill, later? I just, I will, okay. I'm happy to work with both of you because okay. I've studied that, the Trump handshake. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> Trudeau really forced. It was really. It was like he threw a zone defense at him. You know, yeah. it was happening. And, and his sock game was unmatched. You know? Amazing. So, all right, let's talk about LA quickly, though, yes. about the problems in yes. LA, because it's not all hunky dory. It's not. I think the homelessness is as bad as it's been since I've been here. Number um, one in the country, unfortunately. The really? roads are in really bad shape. The ro- so to me, traffic's I was, bad still. Oh, but sorry, traffic's there's, there's bad more to list. I'll, I'll, I'll no, listen. no, no. It's just I, I would say. I would say those are the three yep. biggest things right now. And it seems like the crime's going up a little bit. Crime is leveled off. It still was like the fifth or sixth safest year in 60 years. So that's good. And it, and, and the increases have been in certain areas. It's actually tied into, I think homelessness as we've had a lot of people came out of the criminal justice system. Everybody doesn't want people locked away for 20 years, you know, for having a gram of something too much, but the savings that were supposed to go to the street to catch them when they got out early isn't there. So yeah. I've been frustrated because these folks are coming out. It's it's cheaper to get high than to get drunk. They're living in tents, Skid Row and other places, and we're not serving them or serving us. But the nice thing on traffic and homelessness is, which are my top two priorities, the voters, the same uh, election that changed the presidency, passed the biggest initiatives in both of those in American history. So that money's just starting to come in. People are like, why isn't it solved today? It, it takes a minute. Yeah. But um, over, it'll be, let's see, $4 billion for homelessness over the next 10 years to build housing and give mental health services and the whole anti-addiction stuff. And then on, on public transportation, we're building 15 new rapid transit lines in LA. Wow. Uh, and that was approved by voters and the maintenance of them. So, you know, everything from Elon Musk, who we're working with on new tunneling technology to speed it up, to, as we talked about, bringing public transportation to the airport and downtown, it'll be a pretty transformed city. And Uber and Lyft were just the beginning. Connected cars is probably the quickest way to resolve traffic. Because when you think about it, a car usually has 95% of the time isn't moving. So the idea you have to own your car, then park it someplace, which is valuable real estate, um, but takes away the city's green space, takes away, you know, uh, increases the price of our, our rents and stuff. LA is going to be a pretty transformed place, and I think we're going to lead the way. So no question, we're number one in traffic, number one in homelessness, but I think those are crowns we can lose. The carpool stuff seems like we everybody could be better at that. Well, the carpool stuff, think about it. In the, old, the old model of carpool was like try to work it out so that you and I go in the same place coincidentally and we can do that every single day. The new one is essentially car share. Right? Yeah, Which you that's can just car share, I guess, and, is a better and, way to put it. And uh, the technology, too. It's not, I don't think autonomous vehicles, fully autonomous in complicated cities, are right around the corner. But interconnected ones are. So, you know that frustration on a freeway? I don't see an accident, 
but why is everybody stopping and going right. inside? If we just all hit the accelerator at the same time, we'd go. When traffic is at its peak, which is only about 10% of the day, 95% of the streets don't have a car on top of it. So it's just inefficient space. We think yeah. we're closer to the cars, we're stopping going, but once cars are connected to each other and can be a foot away and never hit each other, that's almost like doubling your capacity. So we have the money to do this. I want LA to be the first big city in America to test that stuff. And like I said, it takes a minute. Nobody's saying tomorrow it's going to be no traffic. But think about Carmageddon. Everybody said it was going to be the worst ever. That was the best weekend ever to drive in the history of LA. Because you take a few people off the roads. Or Jewish holiday, I always said. As mayor, I'll just declare more Jewish holidays. You get like 5%, 10% of people (laughs) off the road, and it flows. So (laughs) I was flying. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) Or the Olympics in 84, like enough people. So so part of it is changing behavior. And if need be, it's also uh, in the future charging people for the road they use. So if everybody knew they'd have to pay more to come into the city every single day, we would figure out ways to do car share more often. So three or four people would come in from the Antelope Valley to downtown to The 110's fun with that because you put the little thing on your dashboard and you can fly through. Yeah, and we're going to do more of those lanes, which people really like. Um, So, you know, there's good things in the future, but no question right now, that's the toughest part of living in L.A. So you have this whole... I mean, this is like a side thing for you, even though it's not a side thing, it's a full-time job, but then you have this whole business and you're up to a million things. This is my volunteer job. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, its own job. How big is your inner circle? Uh, look, we've got a great team at the, at the Olympic bid, and obviously it's not about me, it's about a group of people who did a ton of work to produce this result. So how uh, big is your inner circle? Well, I mean, outside of you or including you? No, no, I'm not including myself. You're kind of in the inner circle. No, I'm in the outside inner circle. Okay. Yeah. Not really. I don't know. I'm I'm just a confidant. Okay. You are a confidant. You're my secret weapon. Uh, Thank you. Look, I I believe that, you know, in the end, if if I can hire really good people who are frankly better at their jobs than I am at their jobs, I can scale myself and scale those businesses. So our company has 800 people now. I don't do those jobs. I sort of lead the business. I think the dirty secret of becoming the CEO of any organization is that you don't actually really do anything anymore. Right. Uh, lots of other people do things. You you're look delegating. At, you look at other people's work and you're like a, you know, uh, a, a, a trained animal. They push you out and you shake hands and you do things and then they pull you back. And, um, and so, so you almost have to build your own company here, which you kind of have, which already, we have, but which we, is essentially what we have done yeah. and will continue to do for the next 11 years. And uh, and I made my commitment to the mayor and to the city that I would see this through the end, whether the end was September 13th of 2017 or, in this case, uh, sometime in the summer of uh, 2028. 2067. Is there going to be a headquarters or is it going to be where you are or is it going to be a different place? Uh, it will be not in the same physical office, but it will be probably eerily close to where I sit every day. Okay. <laughs> eerily close. Because that's, a, that's like a, convenient. It's like a horror movie. What is the most fair criticism you've heard of this? <clears throat> Um, why are you focusing so much on the future when we have problems today? But I think, you know, I always connect the two together. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, uh, kid, Kalen Moore, who, uh, just, uh, left TCU where he played football. He grew up in LA. Um, his dad was arrested when he was young, had no role models around. He connected with the Snoop football league, which was funded by 84 Olympic proceeds. Right. Went to Verbum Day, this great Catholic school here, got a scholarship to Marist and then transferred to TCU. Um, cause of injuries and stuff, he didn't get to play much, but here's somebody who went to division one and this year he won a road scholarship. And what I try to point out is like, you can't address today 
if you aren't thinking about the future. It's a fair criticism, but if you don't see those connections, that the Kalins that are out there today need somebody to bring something like the Olympics, to bring the resources and connect them with something that'll keep them in school so they don't become homeless, so they don't become you know, a, a victim of you know, our criminal justice system. This is why we do both at the same time. And, and that's not us trying to spin some connection, it's real life. For most people, the impact isn't winning a medal. The impact is, did this change my life, make me do something that I uh, wouldn't have otherwise done that's positive? And so it's a fair criticism. Um, and for most cities, it's even fairer because it does cost way too much and you do go in debt and it does take your attention way away because this it's is so a pretty terrible risk. idea for the most part for which a lot is of why, cities, which yeah. I think the Olympics understand it. We've got to reform it in a way that uh, again, fits cities to the games, not vice versa. If they do that, then the core of what the Olympics are is so amazing and so wonderful and so inspiring to everybody, to that kid who watches on TV or sees it live that uh, it's worth fighting for. Could you see a world where, they just say every eight years LA hosts the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, we'd be ready. We could do it every four if they needed, but we should probably share. <laughs> Did I hit everything? You guys have to go. No, I, I mean, I think we're good. No, he's, he, now he I gotta get to City sign. Hall. No, I'm, he's got he's got to. I'm reviewing run all the, the general managers LA. today. I know. Well, he's I gotta the boss. fix traffic and homelessness. So, <laughs> what uh, is there any any plugs you want to do, like social media, anything where you want people we are to now go check out more? We are fully flipped to la28.org. Uh, some guy our... owned it and made some money, right? Yeah, not much though. Was thankfully. that true? Somebody <laughs> squatted on it. That was smart. Totally. It was smart. Totally. He should have, somebody banged out 28, 32, 36, <laughs> just got all of them. Well, after your suggestion of a permanent host for the Olympics, now they have. Yeah, now you got to yeah. do it. But so. we already have laforever.org. I mean, you could make a case that LA just should host it every eight years. Yeah, or, or as some people have suggested, find like five cities, one in each continent, invest in those places, and move it around. You know, that, that's, it should really be about the competition, not about the stress of what you build and the, and the budgets. And we don't have to displace anybody with the Olympics, right? Zero people. Because in 84, that was, I don't know how much of that was urban no. legend and how much of that was no, no, true. No, it wasn't. There, there was some urban legend about uh, like anti-gang operations. Those were independent, but nobody, no houses are being taken, no displacement. We're just using existing stuff. The only things we're building are where there's parks right now. Okay. And that goes away. All right. Well, I'm excited. Me too. I'm glad you guys pulled this off. I'm pro, I'm pro LA Olympics. I, I'm not pro really any other city having the Olympics <laughs> in America. I think it's a bad idea. But with all the arenas and the, and the space and the territory and the transportation, it makes sense to me. But you as a taxpayer and a constituent, you're like the most important voice in that. that you know, someone who lives here, supports yeah. the Olympics here, is a good thing. I have that. You know, you hmm. said it was a 1% chance that spills in the taxes, which would, yeah. you know, be obviously a huge bummer because there's just a better way to spend taxes than that. But Absolutely. if you guys figured this out correctly and that's not an issue, then no, we will. I'm on board anyway. It's not Sweet. like didn't my vote. Mayor, awesome. Casey, thank you. Great Thanks. to be with you. Quick break to talk about the perfect mattress. Oh yeah, you didn't know mattresses could be perfect. Well, if they're obsessively engineered, they are. When they're at a shockingly fair price, they are. When they have supportive memory foams that create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. That sounds like a perfect mattress. Casper mattresses. Our longtime friends, Time Magazine, named it one of the best inventions of 2015, and with reason. You can try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up. They will refund everything. Casper understands the importance of sleep, of trying out a mattress before you commit, how important it is. You're going to spend a third of your life on it. They offer free shipping returns to U.S. and Canada, over 20,000 reviews, an average of 4.8 stars. It's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. You know what? It's not even quickly anymore. It already happened. They delivered one to our house. It's great. It makes me happy. 
there's nothing worse than sleeping on a bad mattress and having bad sheets. So if you can correct those two things, watch watch how much your life's going to improve. Again, Casper will deliver your mattress risk-free. Try it for 100 days. If you're not happy, they'll pick it back up. Find out why so many people love Casper. All you have to do to get $50 off any mattress purchase is you go to casper.com slash BS and use offer code BS. Terms and conditions apply. Again, casper.com slash BS. And now, the maester, Jason Concepcion. All right, we want to talk a little bit of hoops. Yeah. And a tiny tad, just a smidge of thrones. Sure. Um, with Jason Concepcion, a.k.a. Network on Twitter, Thank a.k.a. You. one of the hosts of Talk the Thrones. A wonderful show that I hope a. people A.k.a. one of the hosts of Binge Mode. Yes. This, one of the surprise podcast hits of 2017. Fantastic. Who would have known that a bunch of people would want to listen to 62 straight <laughs> episodes of director's commentary I, You kind of knew that. I, it's a popular show. People like it. People like it. Yeah. It turns out people like Game of Thrones. It That's one of out. our big revelations. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Kyrie because I haven't really talked about the Kyrie situation on the pod mm-hmm. in over a week. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're, that's your dog in the background. He's fired up. Yeah. What's your dog's name, by the way? Milton. Milton. Milton's fired up, I know. Um, we had a thing on the on theringer.com yesterday mm-hmm. about whether there was a possible, I this was this all idea. wrestling work. I love it. And yet all the evidence says no. Yeah. That I, that's Kyrie has just had it. I like Juliet's point a lot that Kyrie is a guy who thrives on um, embarrassing his opponents yeah. And this is clearly that kind of thing. Like, I'm going to cross up LeBron right here. LeBron is now my opponent. Is my opponent, you know? Um, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting like, dynamic over the past few years of the NBA in that um, rivalries happen in teams now. It's no longer like Magic versus Bird. It's like Westbrook versus Durant. Kobe Shaq started this, Kobe I think, Kobe Shaq right? started yeah. it. You know, like LeBron versus Kyrie. That's where tensions occur now because the players are just so powerful. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think it's legit. It's real. You wrote a piece for The Ringer last week about um, basically that people can't have it both ways. Right. You can't criticize Kyrie for wanting his own team, yeah. but then also criticize Durant for joining up with the Warriors, which I thought was an interesting take. And the, the one caveat that I would add that I think mm-hmm. people keep missing with this Kyrie thing is he won a ring. Yeah. He's won. Pressure's off. Yeah. Go find out if you're good enough. Yeah. That's the, that's the whole thing. It's like you don't have to chase the ring now. Also, he's 25. He's had a ton of injuries. This is his chance to find out how good he is. And like, I just love, I just love the idea of a guy being like, well, I'm going to find out if I'm good enough now. I'm going to find out if I'm good enough to be the guy. And I don't particularly think he is. Like his play style is, if you look at the history of like sub six foot three guards who take 19 shots a game and dribble a whole yeah, lot. It's not great. It's not great. So, um, but at the same time, like he's just one of the most fat, like fascinating players. And the fact that he can dominate a game, uh, a clutch, I never thought I, he would be the guy who could win his team a championship ever. Um, so I want to see, like, can he turn into a playmaker? Can he defend a little bit? Can he be that guy? I want to see it. Can he be a leader? Yeah. I, I think I've been amazed reading how this story was dissected yeah. and some of the takes and stuff and people being angry and like, how could he leave LeBron and all this? And it it just seems like they've missed a couple basic parts of this yeah. story. One is which I believe they tried to trade him before the draft. Yeah. I think I think that came out and I think Kyrie found out about it. And whether he found about it before the draft or right, right after the draft or whatever, they clearly tried to shop him. Right. And 
I don't care, man. LeBron can play dumb with this. Oh, I don't know. That's the front office thing, but he's just too, he's too big of a part of that team and yeah. he's on one year contracts. They're not going to shop Kyrie Irving without throwing it at 100%. LeBron. They're just not. And if, it's not and, realistic. And if you look at it from Kyrie's point of view, he's got to hold the bag for this. He's got to be the guy who's got to be here getting bitched out by LeBron for another year when they're probably not going to win. Now they're probably not going to you know, get the title. And then when LeBron leaves, he's going to have to stay there with Dan Gilbert trying to figure it out, like this house on fire. That Why would that be appealing to him? Like, so, so make a power move. Yeah, go back to 2011. All the coaches he's had. Yes. Byron Scott. Complete instability. Mike Brown. Yeah. They, it, it, and then he finally signs his deal to stay there, and then LeBron shows up. People have made this point. And yeah. then it's LeBron's team. He fits in. They win a title together. Right. Last year, they were unhappy. I don't know how anybody can watch what happened last season. They only win 50 games, even though right. LeBron and Kyrie were healthy last season. Yeah. They only win 50 games. The playoffs, they seem happy during the Boston series because they were kicking everybody's ass. But um, I, I don't know. I went to three of those games, yeah. and I mentioned this at the time. I did not like the, the body language and the team dynamic, and it just did not seem like a tight team. Well, I think that Kevin Love, th Kevin Love had this look on his face yeah. like, I'm out. I know I'm going to be the scapegoat. Kyrie he, I mean, didn't they, seem happy. They're always the scapegoat. That's, yeah. the, I mean, that's the great, I mean, that's, you know, LeBron has earned this position yeah. to, you know, as one of the greatest players that we've ever seen. But it just would, I, I, you can imagine it would just wear on you when you're Kyrie or even Kevin Love. If the team loses, it's going to be on you somehow. Yeah. You know, that's going to be. The narrative is it's going to be Kyrie didn't defend. Kyrie, it's the burden like, of playing with one of the best yes. players ever is when things go wrong and the best one of the best players ever plays well, then it's like, well, whose fault was this? And he has to get all these questions. Like there's a clip from a few years ago where a reporter is like, um, can you talk about what kind of parental figure LeBron is to you? This asking Kyrie and Kyrie's like, what? Like, yeah, my, I'm a grown ass I, man. A grown I don't need a parental man. figure. Like the, that's the kind of thing where after a while you're just like, well, you know what? I got my ring. Yeah. Like, I want to see if I'm good enough. I want to be the man. And I'm just tired of being, like, this patronizing attitude. And, of course, like, it seems weird that he would want to leave LeBron. But by the same measure, this is exactly what we criticized Kevin Durant for doing. is like, going to play with great players, making it super easy. Well, it's a controlling the destiny thing. Yeah. Controlling your own destiny thing. LeBron chose, you could say this is a positive or a negative, but instead of signing for five years right. in Cleveland... Instead of signing a four-year extension right. or a three-year extension, he basically year after year left himself outs to use as leverage yes. against Dan Gober. I don't know how anybody could look at that differently. I think it's a smart way to play it. A hundred percent. Because it allowed them to then trade all these draft picks yeah. to get these win-now kind of guys that he wanted because he wanted to win a title. They won a title, so it yeah. worked. But then you go into 2017... And he's putting this stuff out there. The team's got to get better. I always felt like when he said that stuff in December, I can't remember if it was December or January. And he was basically, he sent that message out like, we need help. We're not good enough. Right. But there was no real way to help the team without trading either Kevin Love or Kyrie. To me, that I... We need a playmaker. <laughs> like, stuff like that. Or Yeah, but yeah. I always took that one moment as him saying in a, in a, in a subtle way, trade Kevin Love for Carmelo. Yeah. Without saying it, right? I might be wrong, but that's just how I interpreted that because there was really no other moves to make. They have all these terrible contracts. They have no picks. What right. else are they going to do? You're going to go and you're going to get Andrew Bogut. Um, if you actually wanted to make a move, I think he was saying, 
if I have Carmelo, I have a better chance. And then he was right because in the playoffs, they couldn't play Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson yep. at the same time against the Warriors. I also, I also think you can't underrate like what a, what a terrible signal the, the stuff with Griffin sends. He's the architect of the greatest stretch of Cavaliers basketball in like the franchise's history. I mean, you can argue about this move and that move, but yeah. he did do that. And then I think you could have done it for the record. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm pretty st- sure you could have I'm traded saying, like, seven first round picks. Still, and- like working under tremendous like financial constraints, uh, delivering a title, true, in the finals every year. How do you not give that guy a second contract? Like, and it just it sends a bad signal, I think, throughout the organization. Like, if you're about if the team is about itself on that level, then. Why shouldn't Kyrie look look out for himself? Well, so people are asking me because I did a pod probably a little over a week ago about this, and I was saying basically LeBron's created this situation by the own uncertainty about his own thing, and then got some emails. People were like, "Well, what's he supposed to do? Mm-hmm. He's a free agent in a year, yeah, and he's leaving his options open. He might want to go to L.A., he might not." I'm down with all that. That right. sounds great. If he if he wants to leave in a year, like that's the CBA gives him that luxury, and right. he wants to go to LA and become mogul, great. But you have to understand the effect that has on yeah, your teammates. Yeah, of course, that's the thing, and that's the part I think people missed is like it's been year after year these one year deals or the you know short term, and we'll see how it goes. And now people, everyone in the league starts talking about the LA thing during the finals, right? And LeBron. At that point, what are his options? Either he says, you know what, I'm a cavalier for yeah. life and signs a long deal, or he says nothing, which is what he did. By saying nothing, he now opens the door for somebody like Kyrie to be like, well, where do I fit in? I know you guys tried to trade me before the draft. I know you're probably leaving in a year since you're not saying you're staying, and you're going to leave in yes. a year, and now I'm here with all these bad contracts and no first-round picks? That sucks. I'm screwed. I mean, you know this from work relationships in an office or a team, a team is a collection of individuals who find some way to have the same goal, right? Yes. But into, on an individual level, they have their own ambitions. You know, like working here at the rigor, like there's stuff I want to do. I want to fit that within the wider concept of what we do. Um, but when you start to feel as if people are branching off and putting their own ambitions above the team concept, that's when problems happen. And this is what is occurring right now. Or Kevin Love, who... Signs this five-year deal yeah. to stay, but doesn't put a no-trade clause in right. it. And they, let's be honest, they probably don't sign the five-year deal if there's 100. a no-trade clause yes. in it. And then, really, from the moment he signs that deal, he's in trade rumors. Yeah, <laughs> from, from December the second. On. Yeah, like every time he he blew a rotation or was slow to like close on a shooter, you got to trade Kevin Love. Yeah, you got to trade him every time you can't put him on the floor with someone. You're like, you know, it's like from day one, essentially. I don't know. People have. Somehow, it almost seems like people are thinking you either have to be for LeBron or against him. Right. It's turned into one of these polarizing sports things. I'm not really either. I actually think it would it would make a logical kind of last chapter for his career if he moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. and played for Magic and tried to basically become a multi, multi-billion dollar mogul, whatever the hell he wants to do. But I do think he has to recognize that the narrative that he established in 2014, I'm coming home. Right. I'm back. Right. To do that, but then to leave again, then it's like, well, what am I watching here? I just think. What's important to this guy? I can't figure it out. I think the tough thing with LeBron is he's always been, it's on one, on the one hand, it's 
unsurprising that he is this kind of like closed off considering the pressure that's been on him since he was like 16 years old. But he does a lot of communicating and like Windhorse, other people have written about this, like passive aggressively through social media, through the press. Yeah. Um, and that has an effect, positive and negative. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, you're, you're motivating people, but at the same time you're creating this yeah. level of uncertainty that just seems to have followed him since 2014 with Miami, but then going back to, to 2010 Cleveland, same thing. And now it seems like it's happening again. A hundred percent. And you know, like some of, you know, some of the greatest teams that you've ever loved, like there's this feeling about the team that that guy would kill for that other guy. Right. And outside of the banana boat, do you, have you ever felt that about LeBron? Like he would kill for, I, I felt like he would, he would like crawl over, over glass for, for Dwayne Wade, you know, but like Kyrie, but then he, and then Kevin he Lund, left Wayne, then Wade. he left Dwayne Wade because so it's like, it's, that's the thing where it's hard to pin down LeBron on, on that aspect of it. Um, at the same time, like I 100% understand it. No, I don't think there's ever been an NBA athlete that's been under more pressure for longer. I mean, he's he. They were dissecting him since he got that Escalade as a teenager. I think it's. I think how he's handled it has been incredible. Yeah, I, I've said it and written it. Like yeah. I, I just feel like this has turned out about as well as it ever could have turned out. <sighs> Absolutely, this could have gone wrong in so many different yeah. ways. And just like the course correction after the decision, like. You can't look at the way LeBron approaches the media and approaches every story and like the way he uses his social media and not think he learned from the decision almost immediately. Like he learns yeah. how he effed up there. Um, right. And I think what he took for granted with this whole thing, though, was that he just assumed that Cleveland was a fixed right. roster and those guys were. I, I don't think he saw the part where Kyrie was like, no, he didn't. Wait a second. Fuck this. You're, yeah. you're going to leave in a year and I'm stuck here. I'm right. out. I want to trade. Right. No, thanks. Yeah. I don't think that part ever dawned on him. Yeah. And I probably should have. Yeah. You know, I think it was a really smart move by Kyrie. I liked, you know, this has been the decade of these guys all controlling their own destinies. Yes. 100%. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the contracts are shorter and there's more right. moving and all that stuff. But, um, I don't know. I, from the basketball standpoint, yeah, I agree. If Kyrie is the best player on a mediocre team, right. you're not making the conference 45 finals. 45 wins, maybe. I think you know, we like, said that about every guy in the league, basically. Yes. Yeah. Except for LeBron James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think if Durant's your best player and you have a mediocre team, you might win 50. Right. But other than that, you're where Anthony Davis is. And yeah. all the Giannis, what, what, how many of the Bucks win? 44? Yeah, 44-ish, yeah. Yeah. So we could say that about anybody. Now, if Kyrie is the best player on a good team... yeah. That's a different story because, right. I don't know, I went to the finals. It was LeBron and Kyrie versus Curry and Durant. Yeah. And it was a bloodbath and they were dead even. And the only reason the Warriors won that finals is because everybody else on Durant and Curry's team was better than everyone right. else on the Cavs they team. Go the two versus deep. two? Yeah. That was that was dead even. It yeah. was. They couldn't. Neither team could stop the other two guys. And the thing I love about Kyrie, especially for this era... We're doing an efficiency week, an efficiency week at the Ringer. Kyrie has really um, done more to rehabilitate the narrative of the Gunner than yeah. any guy. You know, like we're in an age of efficient play, ball movement, three pointers, corner threes, uh, dunks, all those things being important. And then Kyrie has really shown that when you get down to crunch time, everything slows down, the wheels slow down, guys can't get open. <coughs> um, who can get you a shot? 
that becomes valuable at that time. And who can make bad shots? Yeah. And that was like, uh, who wrote the piece yesterday about Chris Paul for us? Jarks. Jarks. Great um, piece by Jarks, Great by piece the way. about the one inefficiency with Chris Paul is that he doesn't like taking inefficient right. he doesn't basketball take, shots. He won't take bad shots. He won't take bad shots. And in the playoffs, sometimes you have to. Kyrie is the best player yes. I've ever seen in my life, 100%. other than maybe Larry Bird, at just making terrible shots. There's times where I'm like, did he even need to make it that hard, you know, where he right. spins it off the glass in a certain way that he didn't maybe need to do. It's, in, it's uncanny. It's unbelievable, especially for a guy who he's not, I mean, he can change direction like Quicksilver. He's not explosive. He has really no vertical leap, you know, like it's everything's below the rim. Everything's below the rim. And he's challenging guys that are bigger, stronger than him every time. And he scores. It's amazing. I actually think he's Somehow underrated, which is impossible because yeah. he's been on one of the two high profile teams we had. But like when I did the third podcast with KD and mm -hmm. we were talking about Kyrie and I was doing my whole thing about I just the shot making in those it's, finals it's games. I was like, I know you guys can't see it because you're in the game. But right. just as somebody who's watched basketball his whole life, the shots that the four of them were making, then Clay, when Clay would get oh high, it's like there's never been anything like that in the finals before. And then Durant started raving about Kyrie. Yeah. And how everything was below the rim. And he's just, he can't believe how he can always get a shot off and the shots he makes. And he was like, I, that led to the better than Iverson thing. And then the internet went crazy because God yeah, forbid. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the thing is like, Kyrie is a better shot maker yeah, than Iverson. He is. He just is. Yeah. I, it's not, that has no question about who's a better player. Right. But he's a better shot maker and he's more efficient and he's just better at it. Yeah. It's, he's like. He's like nothing I've ever seen in terms of a guy who can get you a basket one-on-one -on -one in the last minute and a half of a game when everybody's looking at him. It's and he's unbelievable. Had the biggest games of his career have been against great teams yeah. in big situations. Like right. he, The most famous regular season he's had was the 60-pointer, the 50-pointer the yeah. against the Spurs. Was yeah. it 50 or 60? I think it was 60. 60. Was it 60? Whatever it was. Yeah. On TNT Thursday night. Yes. Just lay, lays the smack down against the Spurs, one of the best teams in the league. Then you go to the last three games of the 16 finals. He's just out of his mind. Out of his mind. After. In 45 in game five. After. The game one strategy that the Warriors employed was essentially let Kyrie work. Let's let him, yeah. let him, let him play with the ball because that sucks the energy out of the rest of the team. Now LeBron's not doing stuff. Now Kevin Love's not doing stuff. Just let, like, give him space to operate. And then for Kyrie to not... It's not even that he changed anything. He was just like, I'm going to be more Kyrie. Yeah. And he was. Yeah. It's like, it's, he's an incredible player. I what really love in, to watch him. What he did against Boston game four, LeBron gets the four fouls. Right. And I'm an idiot Celtics fan who knows my team's not very good. And I'm like, holy shit, we might tie the series. Yeah. This might be 2-2. Two -two. And then Kyrie <laughs> scored like 33 points in 10 minutes. Yeah. But I, I think people are mostly wrong, but I also see the point like, sure. yeah. If you put him on the 06 Lakers with sure. all the crap guys Kobe played with, that team would actually do worse. Right. He's not meant to do that. But if you put a good team around yeah. him and he's the closer slash right. guy you go to in the last five minutes, a little like Dirk on the 11 maps, I always felt this way about your man Carmelo. That's 100. I believe this. Like guys who want to hold the ball a lot and are primarily scorers, they're just harder to build around. That's yeah. just the, a fact. The degree of difficulty is higher. It's higher. And the, like LeBron, the issue, I, I mean, excuse me, Carmelo, the issues he's had, especially in New York, is just like the Knicks are incompetent and 
except for the one year, have never been able to surround him with guys that would fill the holes that need to be And the filled. 13 team was good. He's, had, he's been on two good teams because the 09 Nuggets were good too. Right. And they were 2-2 against the Lakers. Right. And then they just didn't play well and they right. lost. Right. The Knicks were the same thing. For whatever reason, they're in that Pacers series. Right. Hibbert plays... Hibbert just annihilates. Who was it, Chandler? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of like things I could say about it. Like, just the fact that they got to they got to you know over 50 wins by playing uh, an offense that was predicated on taking threes and spacing and moving the ball. It was threes and Carmelo. Yeah, they were taking what 34 threes a game, something like that. Threes and Carmelo, and it was like it was like it, it was the closest to unlocking. Uh, Olympic mellow that we've ever seen. Yeah. And, and playing mellow at the four, allowing, allowing him to take advantage of like, of, of his, of his advantage in size and toughness and speed. Um, and then you get into the Pacers series and Mike Brown is like, uh, Mike, Mike, sorry, Mike Woodson is like the, the East is big. I'm going to go big. Yeah. And it just was was like, what? Yeah. So there's a lot of wrinkles there that I still think about. And listen, the Pacers were better, but no, but that, that Knicks team could have beaten the Pacers in a series. I think that it was poor coaching and they didn't right. play well. I feel the same with the old nine nuggets. Yeah. Two, two Carmelo gets hot in two of the last three games and they're, and they're going on, but he didn't play well. Yeah. So I look at uh, Kyrie and I still feel like the 11 Mavs are the model. Yeah. You, which I always thought was the model for Melo too. You, Same. Just a very smart team, good defensively, the rim protector. Right. Um, ball moves around, people are making threes, and then you have the closer. Right. And you hope you get hot. So Phoenix, if I think he's going to end up in Phoenix. Mm. And you I think, think they, of, you think they let go of Josh Jackson? First of all, I think they're insane if they don't. <laughs> I just think they're flat out insane. That's right. all I have to give up for Kyrie is Eric Bledsoe and Josh Jackson. Sure. Done. Yeah. Call it in. I'm doing that tomorrow. Like, let's just go backwards. <laughs> if we're just playing a game, like the old <laughs> aliens analogy or whatever, like who do we want on the court? Kyrie's on that list of yeah. like the nine or 10 or yeah. eight, whatever guys. It's like, I'm pretty sure I want Kyrie out there. He's the best shot maker we right. have at that position. I need him involved somewhere in the game. So to get that and put him with Devin Booker, like I'll figure out everything after. Right. That's but, great. Right. Now, could that go badly? Could that turn into a... a like a, a much more a, right. a much more high profile version of Marbury and Francis, or a higher, not to compare them to that, right? But. A higher quality uh, uh, Kyrie and Dion Waiters feud, right? Yeah. Or like a worse version of how McCollum and Lillard have <laughs> been able to get along. Like I don't know, could it be a your turn, my turn? Sure. Maybe, but, but I want to see it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can spin one of them later. If they, if I think of a Bledsoe and Josh Jackson, that's yeah, it's done. Yeah, and now it's like. All right, I have these two guys now. I have these young forwards. Now I got one more trade. Right. Now I might have a big three potentially. I don't know. I I I support. I I liked your argument and and I just get it from the Kyrie standpoint. Guy just wants his own team. Yeah. He's tired of being yanked around. He didn't like being in the trade rumors, and obviously doesn't want to play with LeBron anymore. And listen, like you're not. No one knows how long an NBA career will last. He's had a ton of injuries going back to Duke. Yep. You know, like never played more than 72 games, I want to say, in a regular season. And has had three of those seasons like significantly altered by injuries. Like this is his time. It's it's now. What would you give up as a Knicks fan for Kyrie? <laughs> uh, I, you got to find some way to move Carmelo and you need a third team. But like, yeah, I, I like Kyrie and Porzingis is I would 
You like don't even care what else happens. I want to see As long that. as you have those two. Let's see that. And that would be the best. See, the, the other thing, sometimes I kiss the Knicks fans' butts too much, and I shouldn't because of sure. the Boston-New York thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, I just think out of all the cities for him to go to, A, the most fun city. Sure. B, the city that would actually appreciate how great he is. Yeah. Because I, I think he's a great offensive player. Great. And I think that city specifically yes. would be like. That style of play is like what the culture of New York. Yeah, any, the culture it. of like playground basketball in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it would make him better. I think the crowd would feed off him. Yes. And we've seen it. Like a really good weird example, even though they're nothing alike, is Sprewell. Sure. Sprewell goes to New York and it's like, wow, this guy's damaged goods. He's a maniac. He tried to choke his coach and it's, but he's this passionate guy and the crowd just, they just liked him. They fed off him. And the Knicks have had guys over the years that they just click with the Knicks fans. And I think Kyrie would be like that. Well, because New Yorkers have this weird, um, especially when it comes to the Knicks. This is a weird thing that people don't understand about New York sports fans. It's like they, they see the Yankees and they think that, that New Yorkers are like these front runners, like these Titans. Yeah. For Knicks fans, it's this weird, like, we live in the greatest city in the world. This is the best place to live. We've got everything here, but also, like, we're underdogs. So... Well, you've only won two titles. Yes. And you've been in the finals once so, in... A hundred percent. So Knicks fans years. love those guys that people reject. Yeah. They just... They love stuff like that. And, you know, like, I guess then the, the question becomes, like, can uh, can Kyrie and Tim Hardaway Jr. share the backcourt? Oh, my God. Yeah. Pretty sure I'd, I don't care about finding it. You, you just have Kyrie. Who cares? Right. If yeah. there's a way that they could. I mean, the French the French guy was the eighth pick in the Frankie draft. Frankie In a loaded, loaded draft. Yeah. And if it still feels like there should be a way for them to figure out Carmelo and him. And a couple of future firsts or one future first, right. whatever it takes. And then for the Cavs trying to satisfy their short-term objection of they don't want to waste this last LeBron year, you bring Carmelo in, right. you flip Frankie Nicotine and Eric Bledsoe, whatever you have to do. Um, that trade makes sense to me. And if you're the Knicks, man, is that, all right, here's our team. Porzingis, Kyrie, we'll figure out the rest later. I would love to see that. Kyrie goes off for two years. Kind of the perfect match for Porzingis, too. Well, the thing I love about Porzingis is I, he, his skill set plus his size, he can play almost like he can play anywhere. Like you can put him next to anybody. Yeah. You know, he's going to create space. He's That's why I want to trade for him. <laughs> he's like, it's like spacing and rim protection yeah. are two of the most important things in modern basketball. And he gives you those. Right. He can Th- play with anybody. There's been some fair points about his. Sure. Even though he's got the long arms and the rim protection, his sure. D is still not. Yeah, I mean, he gets close pushed. to where it needs to go yet. Yes, he gets pushed around still. Um, Charlie Rosen loves to bring that up. At the same time, he's 21 years old. Right. You know what I mean? Like, let this kid develop. I don't think, I, well, the Knicks fans know, but I, I don't think that was a big enough story that one moment when it seemed like they might trade him. <laughs> I happened to be in New York when that was going on. And <laughs> though the feeling, like, you could feel it in the streets, man. People, like, my friends were like, you can't imagine it. Like if if Phil Jackson was to appear on the sidewalk, like walking down it's the just street, people running him over. Yeah, yeah, it'd be people like throwing. Ugh. It was just the acrimony was unbelievable. There's just like this feeling right now with Knicks fans, especially like of you took Lynn from us, and sure it was defensible on a certain level, but that was a homegrown guy who was like that wasn't defensible though. It, it wasn't like, no, but I'm saying wasn't. like I, I can understand from the point of view of Melo's our guy, whatever. <laughs> but right. it's like. 
now you're going to do this. Yeah. You're going to trade this guy for an outdated offensive system and this weird like personal beef between a, a, like a uh, the greatest coach ever who's shown no ability to build a team or get guys to buy into his system. Like, no. And it was just like it was like a real simmering anger, the likes of which was really I'd I'd not quite experienced. And I wasn't there, but just like the things I was hearing from, from yeah. my friends that were Knicks fans. Yeah. So most fun team, you're biased, but I would say the most fun team for him to go to is the Knicks. I would I mean, listen, I'm extremely biased, but I would watch that. <laughs> as much as I love Booker and Kyrie together, I don't hundred percent know it makes sense. Well it's basically as you said, it's it's the much much better version of him and Waiters together. Yes, um, I mean like the the. It's hist- a your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. I don't know if that works. <laughs> the history of like high usage guards in the backcourt is like not at, like outside of Clay and Steph, it's not great. Nah. Like, I guess you could go back like to the to the old Lakers teams, you know, with Jerry West and and Elgin, but it's still it's not you know. It's like Jerry West and Gail Goodrich, yeah, it's like taking, not scoring thirty points a game. Yeah, outside of that though, it's not. It's in not, the modern era, it's not great. On the other hand, we don't even know what basketball is anymore. It's and true. Maybe you do need three dudes who can just create their own this shot. This is one of threes. my. That's one of my favorite, like, um, kind of like sub themes of the NBA right now. Is like analytics has progressed to such a level that there's all the good teams are are kind of like on the same. Uh, on the same ground with analytics, with how the game is played, that the efficiencies now are these weird places that were like you formerly thought were bad, like Kyrie. Yeah. So that's like, yeah, that's one of the interesting things about the NBA right now is like everybody's playing the same way or trying to play the small ball like way. So what is the inefficiency now? That's really fascinating to me. I would argue that Kyrie is both good and bad for trying to figure out the efficiency thing. Like, first of all, you can't, there's no advanced metric that captures yeah. it's game five of the finals. We're down three to one. Right. I the got game this guy. totally changes. Yeah, I'm going to score 45 points tonight. Like, 100%. there's not that many guys who could do that. You don't, right. we don't have an advanced metric for that other than points and wins. Right. On the flip side, durability is also something that yeah. we don't have an advanced metrics for. And, you know, and people have made this point to carry a team night after night. It's hard physically is demanding to go into the paint you you know the inside outside night after night the whole team's on your back the mental pressure of that and he hasn't had to face that right and we don't know we don't know and, but that's and the, a lot of times with the guard it's it's hard that's the beauty of it and that's really why i want to see it like i want to see this guy right now entering his prime. He's 25 entering his prime i want to see if he can do it i don't think he can but i would i just want to see him try well i'll tell you this much i think he's special i think he's special as a player yes and uh I don't know if that's ever going to translate to another title, but uh, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah. You missed it, Chris Ryan. We just did a Kyrie podcast. Yeah. Nah, you're too late. Uh, top top team you hope he goes to other than the Knicks? Other than the Knicks? Most fun? Huh. I mean, I, I don't see any way this is going to happen because their team is set, but like Minnesota is intriguing just because like how stacked they are. And Everyone seems to think that's the floor for this trade. Right. I just don't. The Spurs also you have like to trade for Wiggins and pay him thirty million yeah, dollars a year. That it, seems I don't, dangerous. I struggle to see how it would happen. And of course, the Spurs like pop with a high usage guard. Like, what is that? What happens there? Like, and they just don't have the. the they piece. don't have it. Right? They'd have to. They'd have to bring another team, spin off one of their young guys, Deontay yeah. Murray or something. It's, All right, I talk the it. Thrones. Talk the Thrones. You, Chris Sunday Ryan, night. Mallory, Ruben. 
Sunday Game night. Green Wild Sunday night. Sunday night after the East Coast airing of Game of Thrones. Come watch it. And then binge mode. You're doing those. We're putting those up late Wednesday night. The yes. uh, the belated director's commentary recap of each episode. Don't leave Correct. Chris Ryan. Uh, <laughs> Sixers fan Chris Ryan. Four weeks, but then we have. There's a week off with the show. Is that true? Labor Day is Labor Day. There's no show. I think they're going straight. They're going straight through. They're going straight through. Yeah. It's a death march to the end. Thrones. Yeah, sick. Uh, seven, I want to say. Yeah. Quick prediction for the high-profile death that's coming next. Uh, Littlefinger. Littlefinger. Oh, Milton, Milton agrees. Milton didn't like that. Milton agrees. <laughs> yeah, Littlefinger's feeling himself yeah. a little too much. All right, check that out. Jason, thank you. Thank you, Bill. All right, thanks again to Casey Wasserman and Mayor Garcetti. It's great to have them on. Really looking forward to see how they pull off this LA 2028 thing. Thanks to Jason Concepcion. Don't forget to watch him on Talk the Throne Sunday night on Twitter. Or listen to him and Mally Rubin break down thrones on our binge mode podcast. And also, thanks to Simply Safe, getting a good night's sleep. Easier said than done. I mean, you can have your Casper mattress. You can also have Simply Safe. If you think you heard a noise downstairs, you don't have to worry anymore because you don't have a noise downstairs because you have Simply Safe. Install their home security system, arm your home with powerful sensors that actually tell you if a door opens or if a window breaks. Don't spend another night second guessing. Your home safety, go to simplysafebs.com. Get a special 10% discount when you order today. That's simplysafebs.com with two eyes for 10% off your order. Don't forget, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal and House of Carbs with Joe House. I am on both of those podcasts. Don't forget about Tate, GM Street, Ringer NFL show this week. And we have a whole bunch of other good stuff on the Ringer Podcast Network. And we have good stuff coming next week, too. For the ringer.com. I don't want to spoil it, but something big's happening next week. More details to come uh, on a podcast. We're going to do one more podcast this week at the end of the week. I have no idea who's on it. If you have any suggestions, send them to us. Who knows? I don't, Tate, what do people care about now? It's a little too early for football still. Yeah, we're like two weeks. Yeah. We're still on Kyrie Watch. Yeah. Yeah, we're on Kyrie Watch. If Kyrie gets traded, I will do a podcast in the next four hours. Until then, the BS Podcast, thank you. Cool.